Okay, James chapter 5, verse 20. Today is our last Sunday in the book of James, I think. Now, I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it all depends if everything works the way I have. I've only got 10 pages of notes, so buckle in and here we go. Um, but I, I do aim to finish up today uh, in James chapter 5, verse 20. So I'm going to read to you verse 19 and 20 just to bring you back up to speed. It's been a whole week. And uh, let's talk about these things. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Lord, this passage is before us and it certainly strikes us as a very important thing for us to know, an important thing for us to do. And I pray that you will help us with it today to see the urgency of the passage, to have the compassion of our Savior, to know very well what you have called us to do and have a willing heart to help a brother or sister in need. So do your work as only you can do it with this text. Uh, As we seek to understand it, Lord, only you can teach it. Only you can apply it. And we pray that you might do that work in each of our lives today. We ask you that as we sit at your feet and learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it's very appropriate that even today be a communion Sunday. Um, The most important part of what I want to share with you today comes actually from a verse I've been quoting several times the last few weeks. In uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 16, or 18, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all. His death was complete. His death was sufficient. His death satisfied his father's wrath forever. It will not wear out. It will not wear thin. It will not be replaced. It will not be recreated. It will not be superseded. Christ died for sins once for all. We believe that with all our heart. The just for the unjust. The most unfair trade ever. His holiness for our depravity. He is perfect, thoroughly righteous in every facet. We are sinful in action in attitude, in thoughts, in plans, in nature, on and on and on that goes. There couldn't have been two things more opposite than the just for the unjust. So that, Peter keeps going, so that he might bring us to God. So that he might bring us to God. Here's the great purpose set before you of our Savior. He knows full well that no one could come to the Father but through Him. And that is exactly why He died for us and why He carried away our sins. He wants us to be brought to God. He wants us with His Father. Isn't that remarkable? He wants a relationship that God originally designed when He made Adam and Eve And this is what Christ paid the highest sacrifice possible. 
in order to make possible. Never underestimate the power of the death of Christ to change a life for a sinner forever. Never underestimate that. This most important part of what I wanted to share with you today, it fits a communion Sunday, but it also fits verse number 20. This passage that you see, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That does not in any way give us cause to be proud as if through our efforts we save somebody from the effect of sin. Only Christ can do that. That's what I expressed to you. Only Christ can do that. His message is what we carry into the hardest of situations. Understand what I have related to you this morning. There is no sinner outside his saving ability. None. He can save anyone. That's a remarkable thing. I'm proof. You're proof. He can save anyone. Our tendency is to assume at times that there are some outside his reach. Our tendency. I'm using this as a general phrase. And maybe some people more, some people less. We, we regard those who have been numbered among us to think that they are somehow no longer reconcilable because they knew the truth and they strayed and they sinned. And as you work through a passage like this, I see a picture here before us in verse 20 that speaks of the power of my Savior, not my power. Not my wisdom, not my ability, but His. For only He can save a sinner. I've worked through this passage of James 5 with you to build our faith. And I hope that that has been our success in the last 30, what, 8 weeks or so. Our faith in our Savior. We, we desire to have an appearance like Him, I hope. I hope that's what you desire more than anything else. We want our thinking to match his thinking. And I think we've come a long way with this. And still, the impression is upon us that we walk faithfully, right? Daily with our Savior. Even when there are unbalances in life, and we know those. Even when there are pressures that are high. Even when our faith is being tested to its, its fullest measure. And we've been there too sometimes, haven't we? We are still called to do what? Be patient. Be patient. Strengthen our heart. And not complain. Because, as we saw, the Lord is near. He's always near. I think that's a beautiful thing to remember. His return is coming soon. And we want to be found as those who have faith when our Savior returns. Last week in verse 19, we talked about the action involved. It, we are called to turn back, as it says. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, that's the action we were talking about. 
Turning back. It's an intense word. Epistrepho, the Greek word, it, it means very intensely to turn him back. It implies urgency. It implies effort. It implies strength. But you have to be strong to help the weak. We must be mature, remember, to help the immature. It implies knowledge of the true directions, because how do you know which way to turn him if you don't know yourself? You turn him back. Turn him back. And the question I keep raising is this. Are we mature enough to help them when that day comes? Are we ready? And are we able? That's our calling. Really, that's James chapter 5 for you. It's our calling to walk with our Lord, to mature in His way, to step out by faith and be ready when He has one of His own who needs help. And that's an expression of what James has been given to us all the way through. I hope I've impressed that upon you. But in verse number 20, let's see the results of that. The results of the action. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As I pulled out this verse to investigate the beautiful things we can learn from the Greek translation, I love doing that. I was encouraged to find the very first phrase. He used the word gnosko, which to you means nothing, probably. Gnosko, what's that? It's a wonderful word for knowledge. Let him know. Now, there are different words that could have been used here. There are stronger words that could have been used here. But this is the kind of word that allows for growing. It is the learning knowledge. It is the learning word. It is, it is that place where we're being stretched in ways that are uncomfortable. I know, James 5 does that. And verse 20 really does that. But the Lord in His kindness, through the author James says, put down this word. They're going to need this word. He didn't call for perfect knowledge. He didn't call for complete maturity in these things. As if, if I'm not completely mature, I'm no good. I can't help. But He called for those who are growing in this. Do you see a difference? Here's the point. Let him learn is the way I would translate the first couple of words. Let him learn. Let him learn. I, I think that's great. Because we're learning new things as we go in Scripture all the time, aren't we? I hope that we're further along than we were a year ago because we're learning. The Lord has been kind and patient and He's been giving us room to grow up. I think that's a wonderful thing He's done for us. And He has this in this place. He wants you to learn this. He wants you to learn this. Now, that does give, or say it this way just for a minute, it does give you a little wiggle room to adjust to what He has called you to do. Alright? You are called to this ministry. And you say, well, I don't know if I'm ready for it. He says, I know that. <laughs> I want you to learn. I want you to learn it. 
right? After all, sin is a very urgent matter, isn't it? We believe that. Sometimes we're very slow about it. We certainly have a, been a bit slow in turning away from it ourselves at times. Maybe even slower in helping our brother or sister in Christ to turn from it. Now, you could argue with me on that point if you want. I'm just expressing what I've seen in my own heart at times. But as we grow and as we mature, the issue becomes greater and greater to us in urgency. And the Lord knows that. As you're learning, you are increasing in your understanding and you're starting to say, you know what, this is much more important than I ever thought it was. We learn to know the kind of difference it can make in another person's life. It it allows for some time to grow up. It allows for the process of growing up. It gives you room to learn. But at the same time, even though I call that a little wiggle room to learn, it's a command, and I express that to you first. It is a command. That word gnosko is written as a command. And you know what a command is. It has only two answers to it. Either we do it, or we don't. It's either obedience or disobedience. And so even though it's called for us to keep on learning, which is what it literally means, it means don't quit. Don't stop. You don't have that right as a believer. Do you understand that? That's not your choice. Our Savior said, don't stop. Keep on growing. That's His command for us. And you know what? In that, it assumes something. By the way He said it, it assumes, because it's a present tense, I think this is kind of cool. As James is writing it, he's saying, you're growing right now. Keep it up. His assumption is that you are growing. So for everyone in this room who is maturing in Christ, great. That's where you should be. Don't stop. Keep growing. Keep growing. Keep growing. Keep growing. Understand it's the Lord's expectation of you. It's not just merely a wish. It's His expectation. God assumes that of you. He assumes that because He expects us to keep His His commandments. He expects us to do what He's called us to do. So the action of turning back a strayer comes with God's assumption that we're growing in the knowledge of what? Go back to verse 20. What are we growing in the knowledge of? Here it is. The one who turns back, that's that word again, aggressively turns back a sinner. Mark that word. Sinner. From strain, from the error. That's the same word we've been looking at. The truth, strain, strain and error is the same word. The strain from his road. Strain from his way. That's the picture. I want to give it to you better. They were going along down the road as you were. And suddenly, maybe it was slowly, I don't know. They veered off. They went off the side of the road. They went on the shoulder of the road. You're behind them. You say, now that's not right. And you see them 
started to go further toward the ditch. And suddenly, whoop, down they go into the ditch. And you say, oh, that's not right at all. What do you do when you're behind a car that looks like that? First, you keep out of its way. And then you stop. You say, they're in trouble. What caused them to veer off? Was it their cell phone? <laughs> well, maybe they got dizzy. Maybe they got suddenly ill. Maybe, who knows? But for whatever reason, they were there on the road with you, and now they're off into the field. I'll tell on my oldest son. He's not here. He's in the snow anyway. He doesn't know. I was teaching him to drive. That's a fun thing. If you've ever been there, if you taught your children to drive, you ought to be applauded. I really think so. He's the first one, and I'm teaching him how to drive. We're coming down a country road in Indiana. You can see the turn. It's a mile away. I say, we're going all the way down the street, cornfields on either side of us. See that road? Yep. All right. We're going to turn there. He says, okay. He's cruising around. It's 55 miles an hour, country road. He's cruising down, half a mile to go. I said, now, you've got to start slowing down. Quarter of a mile. You've got to slow down. Still at 55, quarter mile away. 300 yards, 200 yards, 100 yards, still at 55. And I said, you've got to slow down. Brakes, brakes, brakes. You're turning right. See that road? Yeah. Okay. We're going to do it. What's he do? He gets there at 55 miles an hour. And he turns his steering wheel. <laughs> My heart jumps clear out of the car. The car jumps clear into the cornfield. We didn't make the corner, just a right out into the cornfield. Finally, he hits the brake. We stop. We look at each other. You know that look. I said, okay, now we've got to get out of here. He puts it in reverse without looking, just right up on the highway. Ah, okay. You warned him. You warned them, you warned them, you warned them. The Lord was very merciful, and I lived through this, all right? You see the proof of that. But many times, it's when they're in the ditch, you ask the question, now, how do we get out of here? Right? You've seen it coming. You knew it was coming. You watched it happen. And so many times, that's true in the Christian church. You see a brother or sister, and you say, oh, that's not right. And so we don't say anything. We watch them. And they go on to the curb. And you say, oh, that's not right. And then we watch them go off the curb and down into the ditch. And we say, oh, that wasn't right. And then we go over to them and say, okay, now let's see how we get out of here. You got verse 20. That's a picture behind verse number 20. You've watched your brother stray. He, stro- he went from his way. The error, he went, he went off. He's in some cornfield somewhere, spiritually speaking. Do you realize that if you had talked to him, your intervention could have prevented that? Do you know that? He might have been ignorant of something. He might have been willful of something. He might have had a heart set on something. But no brother stopped to say, hey, you know what? That's not in keeping with Scripture. That's not good for you. Matter of fact, that's so dangerous for you, it can kill you. Let's, let's go back to some of these words here. Your intervention, it says, 
will. That's a strong word in verse number 20. Will save his soul from death. That word save there. Sozo. Greek word. Sozo. It means to save. It's the one we use all the time when we talk about being saved. It's, it's that word. It means to deliver. It means to protect. It means to preserve. It even means to heal. Does that bring up some interesting facets of that word to you? A brother in need who's gone off the road? What does he need? He said, well, I was a little too late to save him from that problem, to protect him from that problem, to preserve him from that problem, but that maybe I could help heal him from that problem. There's a lot of open doors for ministry in that simple word, sozo. And I know and you know that salvation can only have come to us from Jesus Christ. That's where I started with you. I made that point on purpose because you and I do not have the power to save. We can't do that. But we do carry a message within us, don't we? The message, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 1, you could go all the way to verse 7, really. I'll read it to you. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That means we don't stay quiet about the truth. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ. Christ Jesus as Lord. And we ourselves as His bondservants of Christ in Jesus' sake. For God said, Light shall shine out of darkness. He's the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure, folks. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's talking about his own body. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. I remind you of that. Because some think that the gospel is only to convert the sinner. But it is a remind, it's a reminder of the gospel that also turns back the saved sinner. You hear it? It's not hard to forget, especially if one is immature in the faith, that they've been saved by grace. It's, sometimes they get so confused. They say, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Have you ever heard that? Talking to somebody, you say, well, how do I convince you? <laughs> how, well, how do we talk about that? More times than not, it's immaturity that brings those doubts out. That make them think, well, I'm not sure. I'm saying, I, Actually, that's not a bad thing. In my book, if, if they're not walking with Christ, they ought to feel like they're not walking with Christ. All right? And if they're struggling with that, that's a good thing because their conscience is at work. That means the Holy Spirit is poking his finger right there and it hurts. And I like the fact that they know this. 
But Peter wrote it this way in 2 Peter 1, verse 4. For by these things he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. For now, this very reason also, we apply all diligence. And in our faith, we supply moral excellence. And in our moral excellence, we provide knowledge. And in our knowledge, self-control. And in our self-control, perseverance. And in our perseverance, godliness. And in godliness, brotherly kindness. And in brotherly kindness, love. And if these qualities are yours, and they are increasing, they render you neither useless, nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if you're growing, that's what the Lord wants of you. He uses growing people. All right? But he who lacks these qualities is blind. He's short-sighted. He has forgotten his purification from his former sins. He's forgotten about it. Therefore, be diligent all the more to make certain about his calling and choosing you, Peter says. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. Peter says, even though you've already been established in it. When I was present with you, I'm going to keep reminding you. You're to keep growing in these things. And when you stop growing, you're going to become blind and short-sighted and wander around in a room like a guy in a room full of smoke and you can't find the exit. You're confused as can be. That's the delirium, or whatever you want to call it, of the guy who just drove off the road and hit a telephone pole. And he doesn't know which end is up and out. And he's sitting there stunned. And we come up on him, and he's confused. Why? Because he's just had an injury. What's the impact of a spiritual injury for an immature person? Have you ever thought about it? We could have prevented that if we said something. Maybe. Could be. Possibly. If we had just done our ministry and seen that they mature into the image of Christ, that would have been prevented. It didn't have to happen. But because some people are pretty stubborn, some people are content with not growing, they drive off the road. Christian, now what do you do? What do you do? You get off the road with him. Not because you've lost your bearings, but you're trying to help him find his. You go back down into that pit where he's at. Save their soul from death. What a word that is. The sinner. You know how I know the sinner here in verse 20 is not an unsaved person? Just the context alone. Verse number 19 says, This is one who was among you. He was among you. He strayed from what? The truth. That means he was in it. You can't stray from something you're not in. I think in this context, he speaks of a brother or sister among you. What is the price tag for sin? Death. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Death. If a man does something sinful, there's a spiritual law, if you will, at work there. There's a law of nature that happens. 
one like this. If you jump from a tall building, there's a simple law called gravity. Which way is it going to take you? Down. Down. We're sure of that because that's what it works. Spiritually speaking as well. If a believer sins, and a believer can sin, can't they? Yes. A believer can die because of sin. Do you know that? Absolutely. There is physical death, and it's evident. And there's a multitude of ways you can express this, but one simple way happened in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, they're having a great church service. Everyone's bringing in their wonderful gifts, share it with the whole church. They're, they're giving their gifts unto the Lord and such like that. And in came a husband and his wife later, Ananias and Sapphira. And they brought in and sold a piece of property, and they brought it in to set it before the apostles and, and such like that. But they didn't bring all of it. They only brought a portion of it, but paraded around as if they brought it all. I mean, there was a pride issue here. There was a, a cover-up here as well. In other words, Peter confronted them and said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. It's a strong passage. You lied. Boy, did that mess up just church service that day. Ananias dropped dead right there in the church service. They had to pick him up and take him out back and put him in the church cemetery, apparently. They took him outside and buried him. His wife came in with the same story. The answer to her was simply this. Uh, the guys who just buried your husband will be in just a minute to get you. And boom, down she goes. You want to change the whole perspective of a church service? Everybody there got very serious about the Lord. Wouldn't you? Sometimes things get our attention. They really, really do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul gave a man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh because he was acting in sin. In 1 Corinthians 11, in the communion service depiction that we have in Scripture, Paul says there were some sick among you and others were dead. He called them asleep, but same thing. Because of their sinfulness. That's a brother or sister. It's possible. It's quite possible. I'm not one to be able to say that's true because of so-and-so and what they did or not. I, I can't. That's not my evaluation. I can't know their hearts. I don't know if that's what the Lord has done or not. But I've been suspicious of a few occasions I've seen over the years. And I thought, whoa, is that an incredible thing? I knew a man. I honestly did. This man, I went to see him. He had been 40 years in his bed. Crippled up with some incredible disease where he couldn't move his arms, his legs, things like that. He's laying there in his bed. All he could do is listen to the gospel radio station all day long. And I thought, what a sweet guy. What a really sweet guy. And I went over to spend time with him. And we're sitting there talking. And uh, he says, I know why I'm here. I said, really? He says, yeah. This, this is what the Lord did to get my attention. He said, 40 years ago... I was the head of the KKK in Birmingham, Alabama. He says, if you want proof, go up to my attic. I said, really? He says, yeah, it's just full of all the robes still up there. I said, really? He says, yeah, the Lord knew what I could do. And so he put me in that bed for 40 years. I said, oh, whoo. That was incredible to see. I said, really? Really? Well, that was his, his own commentary on it. 
That was impressive to me. Do you know that helping a sinful brother or sister who has erred from the truth could save him or her even from physical death? Because sin has a price tag. It could be healing that they need. It could be the preservation that they need to keep them from going further down that road. You could stop them before they get deeper into something. Why? Is it because we saved them? No. Because the Lord saves them and He uses us to share the truth with them. We were given that in the first place. We know what difference it made in our life. If we go to a brother or sister to help them in their need. And I'll guarantee you this. If you say nothing and do nothing, you will help no one. That's true. You need to keep on learning this. That's a result of our action. To turn them back could very well save their soul from death. Your intervention as well will cover a multitude of sins. You say, okay, that's an interesting phrase. Calypse, to hide, to, to keep secret. You say, ooh, this sounds really weird. To veil something. There's nothing sneaky here, okay? There's nothing sneaky about this phrase. I want to define it for you. In 1 Peter 4, 8. You just back up a little bit. You're not far from 1 Peter. Chapter 4, verse number 8. It says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. You see that? Meaning, the sins of others are covered by a love as if a veil is thrown over it. It appears also in Proverbs, by the way, if you want to find Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love hides all transgressions. Love refuses to see faults. And you say, well, what is this? What is this? Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. I just stop and stare at that for a little while. I said, what, what is he asking me to do? What, what, what is this? And then I remembered a story I heard years ago, and it helped me understand better. And I'll give you the story first, then I'll explain. We had a president many, many years ago. His name was McKinley. He had a wife who suffered from epilepsy. And there were many occasions in the public realm as presidents and president wives have to sit at meals together and among dignitaries together and all these other things that uh, his wife would have a seizure. And it always contorted her face. And he, he knew when these moments were coming, there was some sort of a sign or evidence, whatever it was, that when he saw that coming on, he would put out his handkerchief and cover her face. And most people said, well, that's terrible. But that was very kind. It was a very kind act he did for her. And sometimes if, if uh, she couldn't recover well from that few moments, then some help, some aides would come and take her and, and take her to her room. When you cover something, it helps the sinner. Let me explain. The world loves a good scandal. Especially if it's in the church. They just love that. You know what? Immaturity breeds immaturity. 
It always does. Sin just has a magnet to it that we understand. I'm not saying you're turning a blind eye to something, especially in the church. But you're also shielding that sinner, that brother or sister, from more sin. Read this carefully. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It does not say will cover his sins. It will cover a multitude of sins because there are a multitude of sins available for the one who strays from the truth. Do you know what you're preventing then? More sin. You could be a part of helping them keep from more sin. Immature believers are like magnets for sin. Your event intervention will prevent a sinner from straying and becoming something more in that strain. You see my picture? You're not, you're not hiding that. You're hiding him from seeing what else is out there. You're covering a multitude of sins, not covering the sinner. When somebody begins a spiral downward effects of sin, I like to picture it that way. The issues get deeper and the deeper and deeper, and the sins tend to multiply. We may never know the things that could have happened if we hadn't intervened. But that's really not the point. They didn't happen because some mature Christian, brother or sister in Christ, caught hold of them as they were sinning, as they were straying, and prevented them from a host of potential sins. You see, it's not just one thing we're worried about here. It's the whole family of sins that come with it because they first strayed from the truth. If we have turned them back, what have we prevented them from? A whole multitude of sins. That's what the potential is in this passage before you. And I'll be very frank with you. As I worked through all my commentaries looking for things, I didn't find many who said that. Not many who said that. I think it's absolutely consistent with the passage in James. I find it interesting that those who usually comment on this have to manipulate the words a little bit here to change it so that these people in verse 20 weren't saved in the first place. So that's why they strayed from the truth and all these other things. As though they're trying to match their interpretation to what they want out of verse number 20. And I just say, just read it for what it says. Because God's word is entirely consistent. All the way through. This is what our Savior has done to save our lives. And he's always seeming to me to say, ah, back on the road. Nope, 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 back on the road. Uh-huh, back on the road. Do you feel like that? That's our Savior. And he says, now, you're learning that. You do that too. Just like me. Help your brother. Get him back on the road. 
There's a lot of other terrible things out there. Let's not let him go that far. Let's get him here. Let's help him. He's straying. The Lord uses wonderful tools. <laughs> and you're one of them. I'm one of them. And it's a mystery to us how he can do it. But he does. That's what God chooses. People who are growing. People who are maturing. So that he can say, these are my tools. When I've got another one of my child going the wrong way, I'm going to send them. Are you ready? Are you able to be that person? Has the compassion, the mercy, that, that thing that Jesus had about him when he saw the multitudes and he felt for them, has that been put into your heart toward a brother or sister in Christ? I think that's what the passage is calling for. The mature are called to help the brother. That's why we pray fervently. That's why we go and turn them back intensely. That's what the text says. Because after all, the most important part of all this is that Christ died for sins once for all. His death was complete. His death was sufficient. His death satisfied His Father's wrath forever. That is the message we carry to everybody. They're not hopeless. Help them. This gospel doesn't wear out. It doesn't wear thin. It's not to be replaced. We do not recreate it. It's not superseded by anything else. Christ died for sin. And that's what we've got when we've got a brother in sin. We've got the ministry of Christ, the just for the unjust. <laughs> yes, he's, that guy's proven it by driving off the road, isn't he? The unjust is obvious. But Christ is always the just. So that he might bring us to God. That's what the power of the death of Christ has done for you. And that's what it's done for me. And that's just not to give us a good doctrinal statement. That's not just so that we have something to remember on a communion Sunday. That's to motivate us to ministry. Because we've got brothers and sisters who need it. Right? That's what we do with this. We're going to remember this this morning, what Christ has done for us. But I'm going to set in your heart that thought that this is not where it ends. This is where it started. Ministry goes forth from here. So, let's have a word of prayer and then the elders would join me. Heavenly Father, what an incredible passage before us. What a call you have set before us. May we not take this with a light heart. May we not be forgetful people. May we not just move on from here to the next thing. But may we stop right here at this place and ask, Lord, send me. Use me. Teach me. Lead me. I want to be that person that you reach for when a brother or sister is in need and you say, I need this tool. I want to be that person. I want to be ready. And I want to be willing. I want to be able. 
I want to grow. Because it's not just about me. It's about all my brothers and sisters. They need you. And some especially need to be brought back to you. And you can use me. You can use us as a church. It's an incredible thing to be in your hand, to be found useful for our Master. But Lord, I pray that this is impressed upon us in every single way, that we might see the urgency of the moment, that we might see the value of this ministry, and above all things, that we might see you, the one who saved us in the first place, the one whose power at the cross is revealed to us to save a sinner from death, to make us alive forevermore in your name. What great hope we have. What great mercy we've received. What great love you've given. What great peace we have right now. Because you've done that for us. Now motivate us, we pray, with these words. Motivate us to further ministry, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.